Our Father, we have read of the sufficiency of Christ's work. We have read of the necessity of Christ's work. He could not avoid the cross. He had to go to the cross. It was necessary for Him to go to the cross. It was necessary for the fulfillment of Your eternal plan and it was necessary to accomplish redemption. And we have read of the completion of His work on the cross. It is a finished work. There is nothing incomplete about it. There is nothing additional that needs to be done to it. This is... This is our Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the one in whom we have life. This is the one through whom we have life. And our Father, we want this evening to remember Him. We want to remember our sin in light of Him and the fact that He has conquered every sin, paid for every sin, removed every sin, vanquished every sin, redeemed every sin, and reconciled every sinner that believes in Him to God the Father, adopting us as the Father's Son. What a gift. What a great Savior. Would you open our eyes to see the greatness of this Savior On the Sunday before His crucifixion, Gentiles came to the disciples and asked, Oh, that we would see Jesus. And our Father, this evening, that is our same request. Oh, that You would open our eyes to see the greatness of our Savior Jesus. It is in His precious name that we pray. Amen. It is finished. It's done. It's over. When we use those words and say something is finished, we might mean one of several different things. We, we might mean that we have simply endured a process, as in the house project is finished. And we aren't as happy with the completion of the project. We're not as happy with the project as, itself as much as we are just relieved it's finally over. Or we might mean, when we say it's finished, that we aren't really sure whether or not we have obtained the objective, as in when I came home from having worked out for the first time in a couple of weeks on Monday afternoon, Regine asked me, so how was your workout? And I said, it's finished. And by that, I simply meant I wasn't sure whether I finished the workout or the workout finished me. I'm exhausted. Or perhaps we mean something like we anticipate a completed end that in reality really isn't over, as in the last child has just left the house, I am finished my task of parenting. Yeah, okay, there's one that understands. As Jim, we- Jim Neuheiser has wisely noted in the title of his book, You Never Stop Being a Parent. Which means that you might think that you're finished, but you're never really fully finished the task. When Jesus shouted the words, It is finished from the cross, 
they had to be considered as somewhere between ironic and delusional to the unbelievers that were around the cross. They might have even been considered irrational to John and the women followers of Jesus that were hanging around the cross with Jesus. The observers around the cross might have expected to Jesus to say, I am finished. As in, I have been defeated by the cross. The, the cross has finished me. That would have been a logical thing to say because that was the end of everyone else that was crucified on the cross. No one finished the cross. No one endured the cross. The cross was the finish and the end of everyone who hung on it. But that is not what Christ said. He directly and clearly said, John 19.30, It is finished. The cross is not the end of Christ. Christ is the end of the cross. Christ is not just saying something about Himself, but He is revealing something about His work of salvation. In fact, it appears that the Christ particularly did not want to be misunderstood as He prepared to utter those words. So in the previous statement we see in verse 28 of John chapter 19, Jesus said, I am thirsty. He'd been on the cross for hours, first enduring the unrelenting heat of the sun and then for three hours enduring the unrelenting wrath of God against sin. He had been battling again following the, 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 the release of God's wrath and the removal of darkness, again battling the, the heat of the sun. He had been pushing himself upright with his feet and pushing against the cross with his feet, trying to keep himself upright so he could get in breath as he made his body upright on that cross. A thirst was not the crucified man's greatest agony, but, but it was a significant reality. He had been scourged, he was bleeding, he was baking under the hot sun. And he, as every other victim on the cross, would have been at this point severely dehydrated. So why did Jesus wait so long to express his thirst? Why did he wait until now? It was likely so that he could moisten his lips and have a strong voice to shout his final two statements for us all to hear. It is finished. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Until now, he did not need that strength of voice, but with these final two cries, it demanded a bold voice that could only come through a quenched thirst. So in response to his declaration of thirst, verse 29, he is given something to drink. Previously, Jesus had refused a drink of wine that was mixed with myrrh. That myrrh would have deadened his senses and would have deadened his pain, and he refused it so that he could be in control of all of his mental faculties and so that he could experience the full extent of God's wrath against sin. He refused that drink, but so that he might utter the declaration that he is about to make in verse 30, he does not refuse this drink. The wrath has ended, and now he needs a drink so that he can have a voice to boldly declare these final two statements. So, verse 30 tells us, he received the sour wine. And having received quenching for his thirst, 
the three other gospel writers tell us that Jesus cried out with a loud voice immediately before he died. And this utterance that we see in verse 30 is one of those two cries. It is finished. This declaration was one of the last two things Jesus spoke immediately prior to his death. And it is a triumphant declaration of victory. What does Jesus reveal about himself and his work with this statement? He reveals his victory. He reveals his authority. In what ways is Christ victorious and authoritative? Christ is victorious and authoritative in that sin and death are defeated. Sin and death are defeated. The three words, it is finished, are actually one singular word in the Greek text. It is a word that you have probably heard previously. It is, it is the word tetelestai. It is a word that was used in financial context. For instance, we have found ancient Greek tax documents onto which this word tetelestai was written. It meant that the that, that debt had been fulfilled. The obligation was, quote, paid in full. There was no remaining obligation for the indebted person. John has actually used the root of this word twice already in this context. Look up at verse 28. John writes, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished, that's our word, To fulfill, that's our word again, the scripture said, I am thirsty. The purpose of Christ coming to earth and the divine intent of the cross have been accomplished. And now Christ, knowing that inwardly, knowing in his heart that he has fulfilled the work of God to which he has been called, now makes a public declaration of the fulfillment of which he already is aware There are many things that have been fulfilled and completed by Christ through His death. And one of these is that sin and its accomplished death are defeated. The prophet Isaiah foretold us that the sins of all would be laid on the Messiah, the suffering servant, Isaiah 53, 6. They were not only laid on Him, but He vanquished them. So Peter says, In his first epistle, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds, you were healed. His death meant our life. Death is vanquished for those who would trust in him. His death also meant that sin is defeated and His righteousness has prevailed. Those who trust in Him are no longer dominated by sin. Prior to Christ, the sinner could only sin. The the sinner was consigned to sin. He was relentlessly entrapped and ensnared and jailed by sin. Sin was the only thing He could do. But after Christ, the sinner is declared righteous And now he is able not to sin. The sinner is now able to please God and do righteousness. Because of the cross, it can be said that sin and death are gone. They are finished. 
Prior to Christ, sin and death are tyrannical rulers. But now they have been conquered. Christ is victor over them both, and the believer in Him is freed from the curse of Adam and from the power of sin. Because sin was transferred to Christ, and He defeated it, sin is no longer on us, and sin is no longer counted against us. It is finished. Secondly means that Christ is victorious because the plan of Satan has been overthrown. Not only is sin defeated, but but the architect of sin and the designer of sin and the originator of sin and the chief user of sin is also defeated. Satan is not only defeated, but he is overthrown. He is vanquished. And while he still lives today, his final doom and end was sealed at the cross. In the hours before he went to the cross, Jesus declared, Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. On the cross, the ruler of the world is cast out. How did Jesus overthrow Satan by his death on the cross? It seems that that on Friday, it seems that Satan wins. Christ is dead. But Christ says it's through the cross that Satan's defeated. How is that? Christ defeated Satan at the cross this way. Listen carefully. Jesus wanted the cross. Satan did not want the cross. And when Jesus went to the cross, and when Jesus died on His timetable, and when Jesus died in His way, giving His life, not having His life taken from Him, He defeated Satan. The cross was not Satan's work to take Christ's life away from Him. The cross was Christ's work to take Satan's power from Him. We know that Satan's objective was to keep Christ from the cross because on at least one occasion, after Jesus spoke of the necessity of the cross, Peter responded to Jesus. Remember what he said? God forbid it, Lord, this will never happen to you. The Messiah on the cross? Never. And in response, Jesus said, Get behind me, Satan, you are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. In other words, Jesus is saying, avoiding the cross is a satanic idea and a satanic objective. Only Satan would want Christ to avoid the cross. Christ would never want to avoid the cross. It was Christ's intent to go to the cross and it was Satan's objective to keep Christ from the cross. And if he could not keep Christ from the cross, then he wanted to make the cross happen when Jesus didn't want it to happen, which is what was going on with the betrayal of Judas. But when Jesus died in his way at his time, He stripped Satan of his power. John Piper has correctly noted 
that, quote, hindering Jesus from the cross was the work of Satan. Satan did not want Jesus crucified. It would be his undoing. This declaration, it is finished, indicates Christ's power, Christ's authority, and Christ's victory. He's dying because he is in control. He is not having his life taken away from him. Nothing can be taken away from God and nothing can subvert His will and His purposes. He is on the cross and He is Satan's victor while He is there. It is finished. Thirdly, Christ is victorious because the work given to Him by the Father is completed. In John chapter 6, Jesus reaffirms a statement that He has made multiple times. He says in John 6, verse 37, All the Father gives Me will come to Me, and the one who comes to Me I will certainly not cast out, for I have come down from heaven not to do My own will, but the will of Him who sent Me. Jesus' advent on earth was part of the Father's eternal plan for the Son. This was the promise of eternal life which the Father made to the Son long ages ago. Titus chapter 1. This was the inner Trinitarian promise of eternal life that the Father made to the Son in 2 Timothy chapter 1. This is the eternal covenant that the Father made with the Son. Hebrews chapter 13. The Father sent the Son to earth to reveal the Father and the Father's glory, John chapter 1, and to live a perfectly righteous life in the flesh and to atone for and to redeem sinners from sin. And everything that the Father sent the Son to do, He did. It's finished. The work is done. In His high priestly prayer, Jesus says in John chapter 17 that He was sent to glorify the Father and that that work was completed. He glorified the Father and He glorified the Father supremely on the cross. That work on earth was finished. And all Christ's work on behalf of the Father was finished decisively and completely. Nothing was left undone and nothing would ever have to be repeated again. Everything that the Father sent the Son to do was done and it was done for all of eternity. No one would have to come after Him to improve on what He did. No angel could add anything to His work. There was nothing lacking in His work that needed correction or addition said John Flavel in one of his works on the cross, whatever the law demanded is perfectly paid. Whatever a sinner needs is perfectly obtained and purchased. Nothing can be added to what Christ has done. He has put the last hand to it when he said, it is finished. It is finished. Fourthly, Christ is victorious because the work of redemption is completed. Christ's work on earth was not to perform miracles that amazed people like, like the feeding of the 5,000 from, from two loaves and, or from five loaves and two fish. 
His work was, was not to heal the sick, though, though He certainly did heal some. His work was not to correct the teaching of the Pharisees, though, though His teaching did amaze the people who heard Him because it had a kind of authority that the teaching of the Pharisees did not have. His work was not to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. And the cross finished that divine act and provision of redemption. To redeem sinners necessitated the death of an unblemished and perfect sacrifice. Every sacrifice of the Old Testament was inadequate because every sacrifice of the Old Testament was made under the curse of sin and because animals cannot stand in the place of men and because animals are not infinite and eternal to absorb an infinite wrath. It was inadequate in virtually every way. So those sacrifices needed to be repeated time after time after time after time until one final sacrifice could be made that would not have to be repeated. And Christ was that final sacrifice. Christ paid the debt for all those who would trust in Him. Christ secured eternity for those who believe. Christ was a sure victor that reconciled sinners to God. And that victory was proved when at the completion of the pouring out of God's wrath, Luke says in Luke 23, it was now about the sixth hour and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour because the sun was obscured and the veil of the temple was torn in two. Since the building of the temple, only the chief priest was allowed access once a year into the Holy of Holies and into the presence of God. Access to God was blocked to sinners. But with Christ's atoning work, God grants access to Himself. God grants eternal access to Himself by reaching down from heaven and grabbing hold of that curtain and tearing it in two from top to bottom. The Good Shepherd has laid down His life for the sheep and He has done it perfectly, fully, and finally. His work is finished. It has been noted that this declaration from the cross was not the moan of the defeated nor the sigh of patient resignation. It is the triumphant recognition that He has now fully accomplished the work that He came to do. How do we know that Christ has been victorious? How How do we know that all of these things have been accomplished? Notice the end of verse 30. And He bowed His head and gave up His Spirit. Every other individual who died on the cross died, and then His head slumped forward. Not so with Christ. He willingly bowed His head, and then He willingly gave up the Spirit of His life. He picked the time of His death. He controlled the exact moment of His death. His life was not taken from Him. He gave up His life on behalf of others. 
Death did not defeat him by robbing him of his life. He defeated death by determining the exact moment of his death and volitionally giving up his life, which is something very different from self-murder. As one writer has said, more than simply knowing what was taking place, Jesus was consciously in control of the circumstances. Jesus was declaring the completion of His life's work. The crucifixion did not thwart His mission. Rather, it accomplished it. Jesus did not hang His head in the agony of defeat. He was the victor, not the victim on the cross. It's absolutely right. So one commentator summarizes this statement by Jesus Christ, it is finished this way. Thus Jesus dies. He who was from all eternity dies. The eternal Word through whom all things were made, including life itself, dies. He who raised the dead, who at the tomb of Lazarus plundered its dread abode, himself dies. Christ has died, but it is the culminating act of His victorious life. And in His death, He affirms in one final triumphant act that He is the victor. His grave appears to be grief and sorrow, and surely the weight of our sin and the horror of that infinitely, perfectly holy God incarnate carrying the weight of our sin is grievous. That is true. But don't confuse that with His defeat. Christ is dead, but He is not defeated. His words, it is finished, are the capstone to His victorious life. Our Father, we thank You for a Savior. Not a Savior, but the Savior. Not any Savior, but the only Savior that could ever save us. The infinite and eternal God-man. The one who laid aside the glory of heaven and all of the rights and privileges that were granted to Him in heaven, putting them aside, taking up the mantle of fleshliness that He might die in our place. We should have been on that cross. We should be in hell for all eternity. It is only through an amazing act of grace and an infinitely powerful act of love in which Christ victoriously conquered sin, death, and Satan and completed your eternal plan of redemption that we are saved. And, O Father, we are saved in Him. As we come now to this table, might He be our joy, might He be our delight, and might we take these elements in a worthy manner. We pray in the name of Christ and for His glory. Amen.